0: How we doing, Parkview? We good? Good to see you. Welcome. Welcome everybody around Orland. Uh, welcome everybody out at Homer Glen. Hello to you, everybody at New Linux. Uh, welcome to the weekend, everybody online as well. Glad that you have made the choice to be around here on this little bit, uh, little chilly, little, little uh, snowy uh, weekend. Feels good, feels brisk, keeps you awake, right? Um, I had the great joy this morning of scraping uh, ice off my rental car window, and which was amazing, and there was no ice scraper in the car, uh, which was interesting, so I just, I let the, I didn't know exactly what to do, I let the, uh, I just put on the uh, windshield wipers for about 20 minutes on high and just let it just go. So the car is definitely going to need new wipers, um, so I'm going to have to tell them that later, uh, but uh, it's, it's just good, it's good to be together, it's good to come and sing and join the teams and just have our hearts uh, focused towards God, it's great to study His word and and, uh, look into that as we head into a new week and if you've been around here for the last few weeks as we started into this year you know that we're in a series where we're uh, studying the life of Jesus and the whole idea is that we would just journey with Jesus for a little while and see what his life was like and how he taught and how he lived so that our lives can look more like Jesus' life. And uh, the big thing we've been talking about, uh, or the book that we've been talking about to go along with the Bible, is this book, uh, Quest 52. And I know a lot of you have picked this up. I want to just encourage you to do that, uh, if you haven't already, because we're going to be teaching on the weekend. And then during the week, you can read through and just go more in-depth with things. It's by a guy named Mark Moore, who I know is a friend of Pastor Tim. uh, And he's also a friend of mine. I was actually on a teaching team. Uh, With uh, Mark Moore in Phoenix for about three or four years. And I can tell you uh, that he's just such a good, genuine, kind, loving, authentic, and, and just smart, crazy smart person. He's been teaching the Bible and specifically the life of Jesus and the life of Christ for like 30 or 40 years. And he's just great at it. So. I hope you'll pick that up. And uh, the thing we've been starting out with and, and saying to get us going in the same direction during this series so far is this: that give Jesus a year, and He will change your life. And I think that's absolutely true. Some of you know that is true because you've done that, and some of you are going to find it is true, because you're in the midst of doing that this year. but give Jesus a year of change your life. Over the last few weeks, week one is Jesus God. Week two, is life just random? Week three, can God use me for big things? That was just last week. And so, again, we're just getting started on this. If you're just coming back and around, I'd encourage you to go catch these messages from Pastor Tim. Grab one of these books. You can catch up easily on the chapters. And today we find ourselves in week number four and chapter four. And to get us all moving in that same direction today, I want to do something with all of us that I did um, just a few weeks ago when we were on a vacation for Christmas uh, with, uh, with my family. And it kind of just something we did to keep everybody talking around the table and stuff like that. It's called, What's Your Favorite? And so I'm gonna show you, Homer Glen, New Linux, Orland Park, everybody online, I'm gonna show you a couple things, and I just want you to say out loud like which one of these would be your favorite. If you could only have one of them, what would you choose uh, to be your favorite? And you can just say it to the person you came with, your neighbor, you can yell it back at me. If you're at home, you can yell it out to your pets, okay, and that'll be fantastic. And so we'll, we'll just practice, we'll practice with this one. So what's your favorite, salt or sugar? On the count of three, one, two, three. Well, wow, Well, that was, that was close. Maybe sugar, one, I think, possibly. Um, but that, you, got the, you got the thing of it. I know that some of you, this is very deep, this is very spiritual, okay? You, you, you need to know these things, okay? Let's continue on. What's your favorite, sand or snow? Right. Uh, <laughs> you didn't even wait for me to count. It's just like sand, okay? <laughs> we want sand. We have snow. Plenty of that, okay? So let, let, let's keep going. Here, here's another one. The nighttime or the early mornings? One, two, three. Uh, that's close. It's kind of split maybe. Maybe the mornings, I think, actually uh, won that out. Or, or, or how, about, how about this one? A good book or a good movie? I think a good, some of you are saying, they still write books? Do you have books? Are they, why do you need books when you have these, right? I know some of you are, that's where you're living. Okay, a good, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer uh, to this one, but I'm going to go ahead and, and ask it. What's your favorite, dogs or cats? <laughs> hope, okay, hopefully you said dogs. Um, you don't have to, you can, you can still be a Christian and say cats, um, I think, um, <clears throat> This is actually me and my dog, Bo. Um, so he, he's a good one. And so I thought I knew the answer to that. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know the answer to this next one. But again, I'm going to go ahead and do it. This, this, this will just be the last one, okay? What's your favorite? Um, <laughs> no, no, don't, 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 don't. Don't do it. Don't say it. Don't, don't say it. And, unless you really want to. Um, no, no, seriously, no. Because there's, there's a chance Tim may watch this. And then that would be very hurtful to Tim. Um, so, <laughs> Here's, here's why I bring all of this up, because we all have favorites, right? We all have favorite foods, we all have a favorite car, we all have favorite colors, we all have favorite clothes that we like to wear. E- even if you have, like, more than uh, one kid, if you have two kids, you have a favorite kid. Admit it. Kids are sitting there going, no. Oh, yeah? Now, of course, I mean, it's situational. It's situa- I mean, like, when, I, when I, need, I have two kids, whenever I need my kids to do something, I'd always be like, hey, 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 you know... You're my favorite, right? And get them to do it. So we all, we all have that. And so here's, but here's why I bring all this up. It's because in week four of our study and in the quest book, we asked this question. You ready for it? Here we go. Does God play favorites? Does God actually have favorites, play favorites? And the answer to that question is actually kind of, Yeah. Yeah, it seems he does, and I know some of you right now are going, seriously, because I knew it, I knew it, I knew God played favorites, and I I am obviously not one of them, I knew it, I knew that's the way it was, nobody's ever told me that, and I knew it, and others of you are going, no, 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 that's not right, that's not right, God doesn't have favorites, God loves everybody the same, he just loves everybody the same, he doesn't have favorites, and so there's a lot of tension in this idea, and this question, does God play favorites, and maybe even a better way to ask it is, God's favorites look like our favorites, And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into this and study it today. And by the time we get to the end, the next 20 minutes or so, we'll have discovered a whole lot more insight into that question of God and who he favors and how. Our main text today is part of the narrative of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2 in the book, in the quest book. And it also centers highly around the shepherds. Now, just a few weeks ago at Christmas, we spent time talking and preaching about the shepherds. so I don't want to repeat that whole message today. So we're going to look at a few other people in the story of Jesus' birth that will help us answer the question, does God play favorites? And if so, does God's favorites look like the favorites of this world? So a few other people besides the people that we would always be talking about the first one is this person caesar augustus caesar augustus you may know him from the story of jesus and again what we're trying to do is just figure out more and more about jesus so we can know how he was born how he grew up and and what his life was like so we can look at it caesar augustus was the emperor of rome when jesus was born I don't know why, by the way, he has this little person hanging off of his leg there. Um, try, try not to look at that, okay? I know as soon as I say that, some of you, now that's all you can look at. You're thinking that's all I can see. So anyway, I'm sorry, that's, that's confusing. So I'm, I'm actually going to get rid of that, okay? Um, but you know Caesar from the story of Jesus, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You've probably heard that before when you've read the story of Jesus. Again, Caesar Augustus is the emperor of the Roman world when Jesus is born. Um, Caesar Augustus is revered, really, through history as the greatest, uh, the most powerful king there in Rome. Augustus, catch this. this This may sound a little familiar for those of you who study the Bible as well. Caesar Augustus, when he was reigning in Rome, the people had names for him. One of the names they called him Prince of Peace. That's what they called Caesar, Prince of Peace. They also called Caesar, because he was the greatest king, they called him King of Kings. You're the King of Kings. That's who you are to us. The inscriptions on his coin, on Caesar's coins, they looked like this. They had this little divs, philius, or I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but this means the inscription on the coin means the Son of God or the Son of the Gods. And the people who were living in Rome during that day were just fine with giving Caesar these accolades. They, they were thankful for him because of the stability and, and a lot of the prosperity that Caesar Augustus brought into the Mediterranean world. He was favored. He was rich, powerful, connected. And a lot of the people in Rome gave him just, he was their favorite. Tremendous favoritism. And by the way, some of you know this, but most people who were looking for the Messiah who we know as Jesus, a lot of people in that first century who'd been looking for the Messiah for a long time, that's the type of person they were looking for. Somebody who was powerful, somebody who was connected, somebody who had military strength. They thought their Messiah, they thought the, the, uh, their Savior, if you will, was gonna be this highly powerful military type person. That would be the Messiah. That also is why a lot of people missed the Messiah. They just weren't looking for the same person that God was bringing to this world. Caesar Augustus is not the only king, uh, powerful, favored person in the story of Jesus, but there's another one, it's this guy, this is Herod, called Herod the Great, and Herod uh, actually was a friend of Augustus, and what Augustus would do as the emperor of Rome, he would put these different kings in, in place over all of his region, and Herod was the king over the region that Jesus was actually born in. And again they call him Herod the Great because honestly in the eyes of the people he just he did all kinds of great favorable things not for all of them but for for some of them he built all kinds of things like he rebuilt the temple. In Jerusalem. He built this huge palace and would have these parties in Masada. If you've ever been to uh, Israel, the Holy Land, you can actually go to the ruins. I've been in the ruins of the palace that Herod the Great built. He was an incredible architect, incredible military strategist, but he was also pretty ruthless. History tells us that Herod in his region would tax people like 60, 70, 80% of their income would be taxed. I mean, you thought Illinois was bad, right? Some of you are thinking, yeah, this is, I'm moving to Indiana because Indiana's better, so I'm moving to Indiana this year, and you're still, you're still in Illinois. But anyway, 60 or 70 or 80%. I mean, this, this guy, it, it's, it's incredible. He's just ruthless, too. When Herod's dad died, Herod's dad had been the king before. His dad dies. He becomes the king uh, of, that, of that region. You know what he did? He had a huge party at his palace and he invited all of his dad's confidants, all of his dad's counselors, all of these men who were closest to his dad. He invited all of them to his palace to have this huge party. And you know what he did? He didn't give them gift bags, he had them all executed. All of his dad's closest friends and confidants from his kingdom and his reign, he had them all executed. History also tells us that Herod had ten wives and forty-three kids. One of his favorite wives was named Miriam, and at some point, Herod got word that Miriam—somebody had told him that somebody had told him that somebody had told him that Miriam was hoping that one of her kids would actually usurp him and kick him out of the throne. And so he brings Miriam, his favorite wife, in, and he has her killed. And then he doesn't stop there; he grabs Miriam's mom, his mother-in-law, and has her killed. And then several of his own sons, he has them executed. I mean, this guy is just ruthless. But I think understanding, because we're studying Jesus, we want to understand what was it like when he grew up? What were the politics like? What was the kingdom like? The stuff that he was born into with his mom and dad, what did it really feel like? This that we've just been talking about should give us some insight and understanding into Jesus and his birth. We read about this a lot. For instance, take a look at Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of who? King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. The word disturbed in the Greek language is the word "terasso." Everybody say terraso, Terrasso, and it means agitated, or it means fearful, or it means to have anxiety, to be anxious. He was disturbed, which you can understand, but here's what I've never really completely understood studying the Bible for a long time. He was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Why is all of Jerusalem upset about this? I mean, babies are born all the time, right? I mean, babies are born around the kingdom all the time. He's disturbed, but all of Jerusalem with him. You know why I think all of Jerusalem is disturbed also with him? It's because they know, all of Jerusalem knows what he is capable of. They know that if Herod is disturbed, it is not going to go good for us in the coming days and months. I mean, he is a powerful, egotistical, maniacal, ruthless type of person. So everybody was disturbed at what Herod might do. History tells us that Herod is about 70 years old when Jesus is born. We also know that he's sick. Not exactly sure why or how. Some say it's probably a kidney disease that he had, but very, very sick. And so as Jesus is being born onto this earth, Herod is in a season of his life and his reign where he's trying to consolidate and leverage all of his power and bring it together so that he can pass on this legacy. And that's when he gets the disturbing news that about a half mile from his palace there's this newborn baby that some are saying is going to be the king the king of the jews and he's thinking it could it be that there's a new king that rises up and becomes the favorite Because you see, here's what's happening in the first century, the the narrative that is being propagated by all of the religious leaders, the political leaders, the socially elite people, the narrative that is being told to everyone else is simply this, yes, God does have favorites. And guess what? We are his favorites. God's always had favorites, he always will have favorites. We are his favorites. I mean, look how powerful we are. Look at where we live. Look at our palaces. Look at our money. Look at all of our prestige. We are obviously God's favorites. We're powerful, and we're pretty proud of it. Now, here's what we know, though, because we live on the other side of the birth of Jesus. We know that the way God sees things is not exactly the way the world in the first century saw things. In the book of James chapter 4, it says God actually opposes the proud, but shows what? Favor to the humble. God's favor, some of his favorites, are not those who are proud and powerful, but those who are humble, those who will lean in to him. You see, the more we'll get to know Jesus this year, the more we're gonna realize that God and his son Jesus, they, just, they don't just favor the wealthy, they, they favor those who are generous with their wealth. They, they don't just favor blindly people who are powerful. God and his son Jesus favor boldly people who are oftentimes fairly powerless. The people upon whom God allowed his favor to rest would have been very perplexing in that first century it would have been a hundred percent unexpected because again the the people that God chose to favor and come close to were not necessarily the people that the world was expecting it was perplexing And, and we've talked about this some before in the story of Jesus it was people like Mary and Joseph Mary and Joseph were not necessarily you know they weren't at all powerful or prestigious type people Mary we know that she's a teenager She's like 12, 13, 14 years old. She comes from an insignificant town, the town of Nazareth. There's nothing prestigious about Nazareth, it's a, just a normal little rural village. She's engaged to a guy who also there's nothing incredibly prestigious about. She's engaged to Joseph. What we know about Joseph is that he is a carpenter. He's a day laborer, which means he would take whatever jobs would come around. Joseph probably had two or three or maybe even four jobs going at the same time. The world would not have looked at them and put favor upon them, but yet God chooses them to love and to trust with Jesus. And I want to show you something today. I want to show you a a pretty interesting scripture in the Old Testament of the Bible in the book of Leviticus. Because this scripture in Leviticus helps us understand the New Testament in Luke chapter 2, which is where we're studying some today, the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. So let's look at Leviticus And it'll help us understand Luke chapter 2. In Leviticus, it talks about the law of the Lord. It talks about the law of Moses and what a woman had to do, according to Jewish law, once she gave birth. This is how she would come to the temple. This is in Leviticus, the Old Testament, the Jewish law. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb, For a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or dove for a sin offering. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So, with that in mind, let's fast forward now and see what happens when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. For this ceremony. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Catch that? The normal sacrifice to bring was a year-old lamb, an expensive sacrifice to bring. If you can't afford to bring the normal sacrifice, if you don't have the money or the means for that, then you could bring a couple pigeons or a couple of doves, which is what they do. In understanding and studying Jesus, I just want us to understand that Jesus' parents were pretty poor. They didn't have a lot of means. They didn't have a lot of resources. In fact, these people, Mary and Joseph, have been chosen and favored by God to give birth to his son, and yet they can't even afford what would usually be a typical sacrifice. And, and maybe I could say it like this. In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the world, they would not be favorites, or, or maybe another way to say it, they would not be the front runners. To be the mother and father of the Messiah. (laughs) They just just wouldn't have been. No one would have been picking them out of the crowd. Because they didn't have the prestige or the position or the favor that went along with all that. But yet God chose them. And God favored them. And not just them. There's other people in the story of Jesus and his birth. The shepherds. We've talked about them before. Not going to talk about all that again. But most of you know that these people, the shepherds, they were not favored really they were far from favored in the first century they were unclean because they were working with dirty sheep all day long and so people couldn't be around them they were outcasts religiously they couldn't go to the temple they couldn't be around people socially they were itinerant meaning they just they wandered around with their sheep they didn't have a real home they didn't have a place to stay they certainly didn't have palaces and things you know like that they were itinerant and 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 even although all that is true here's what's interesting It's interesting that even though the shepherds were not highly favored in that first century, the idea of shepherds is one of God's favorite things. The idea of being a shepherd is one of God's favorite metaphors. I want to take us in our book this week, Quest 52, and you're going to read this if if you're reading along this week. It's on page 23. I want to read just a little bit of it about shepherds. At the very top of the page, it says, but God's favorites are not who you think. And then it says, all the people who might have first witnessed the birth of the Son of God, no one would have predicted the shepherds. Throughout the Bible, we see this prescription, God exalts the humble and humbles the they exalted. The idea is everywhere but no more more pronounced than with the shepherds. While literal shepherds are marginalized, metaphorical shepherds were revered. For instance, King David. Remember from the Old Testament, David, he was a shepherd. It talks about that in 1 Samuel. The elders of the church of Israel are called the shepherds of that church. Jesus himself, several places, is called the what? The good Shepherd, right? Jesus is called a shepherd. The elders of the first church, the early church in First Peter, are called shepherds. Mark goes on to say there's a lesson for us. The way our culture values people is contrary to the metrics of God. Our culture values possessions. God values generosity. Our culture values youth and beauty. God values wisdom and fidelity. Our culture values entertainment. God values sacrifice. Often the people you think who think the least of themselves are honored most by God. This explains why Jesus prioritized children and honored widows and called fishermen. You may be thinking that you are nothing while God thinks that you are really something. The world may despise you while the Lord esteems you. Perhaps you work the night shift like the shepherds Perhaps you are not wealthy or respected. Perhaps you have no power or fame or social status. You may have been bullied or neglected or rejected in your life. You may have been the forgotten middle child. Well, guess what? Congratulations. You may just be one of God's favorites. I love that. That's going to be part of what you're reading this week, that God's favorites don't always look like our favorites. So what does this mean as we pull this all together? What's this mean for you and I as we head out into a new week? Well, here's one way to put it. It means your value is not determined by your bank account or the size of your house or the brand of your clothes or the location of your latest vacation. It's just not. Your value comes, my value comes because I am a favored child of God. God has chosen to call me his son, he's chosen to call you his son or his daughter. And that's where your favor comes from. Not your esteem or your position or how smart you are, or what job title you have at work or anything like that. It becomes because you're God's child. That's why you're favored. Maybe a good way to understand this for some of you who have kids, maybe you have kids who are little right now, or maybe you have kids who've gotten a lot bigger and they're not little anymore. But remember back when your kids were little, did they ever make artwork? at like school, they drew a picture at school or maybe at church, they drew a picture and, and then they brought it home. And it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's kind of the colors aren't looking good and everything's you know, not inside the lines and stuff like that. But did you ever take that artwork and, and put it like on your fridge at home or, or put it on your desk at work or something like that you know, from your son or your daughter? Maybe if you remember doing something like that, let's just say you put it on your desk at work. If you did that, did you ever in all of your life have somebody come up to you at work and walk by your desk and go, whoa, that is beautiful. Like, where, where did you get that? Could I buy that from you? That's my favorite thing I've seen all day. No, they're not going to do that. You know why? Because it's not their kid. You know why you love it? You know why it's special to you? You know why you favor it? You know why it's so fantastic? It's because it's your kid. So you think it's great, you think it's special, it's selling your favorite things. Listen, Parkview, you are God's child, you are his favorite, you're a masterpiece. And nothing you've ever done, nothing you will do can make God love you or favor you any more or any less. You have it. You're his child. And I know sometimes as we try and sort that out in our mind and we think we're not that special or not deserving or, or whatever it is, it doesn't seem fair maybe in the eyes of the world. But I'm telling you that, that God is gracious. To us with his love and favor. In fact, here's what you're gonna read in your book this week these words God isn't fair, God is gracious. God isn't fair, God is gracious. And I'm not sure how that hits you necessarily, but as you start thinking on that, the way I've been thinking and meditating on it, I say, Praise God that God isn't fair. If God, I don't want God to be fair with me. If God was fair just like over the last few weeks or even over the last few days, the things I've thought, the things I've done, I don't, if if God was fair, I would be in trouble. Praise God, he's not fair. He is gracious with me and he's gracious with you. God loves you and he favors you and the way that comes to you and me is through his son, Jesus. As we accept Jesus into our lives, We gain God's favor. We gain closeness and intimacy with God. This is why we're studying Jesus. In order to get close to God, have his favor, have his blessing, it comes through his son Jesus. That's why all of this is so important to understand in our lives. In fact, maybe you've seen these verses. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to come close to God? You want to have God's favor? Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. It happens through me. And for some of you, you're fine with that. You're good with that. But with others of you, I know, because I talk to people all the time. Some of you say, Todd, okay, 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 time out, time out. Like all the other things we've been talking about, like the favor stuff and favorites and stuff like that, that was kind of fun. But this right here, this I don't understand. I don't get it. This, this, is, this isn't fair. This whole thing right here, the whole Jesus being like the way, the only way, that, that's not completely fair. And listen, I, I have conversations with people on a regular basis. Over the last few months, over the last few years, I have people say, you know what, Todd? I can understand that God, you know, loves and favors people who are kind or generous or selfless. I I understand God favors people who are good and servant-hearted and things like that. But just to say that God favors people because of Jesus, because of their acceptance and love for his son, doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. There should be other ways to get close and to get in God's favor. I should be able to do things. And I just want to say this. It may not seem completely right and fair. It may not seem palatable or politically correct. But it's true. And, And listen. Do not make the mistake, Parkview. Do not make the mistake in your life of determining what you think is true by what you think is fair. Because they may not always line up. For instance... As we get into the first quarter of this year, we're in tax season, right? Some of you are getting your tax stuff ready. You're doing your taxes. You're putting together little files. Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. And you're doing your taxes. And, and uh, what if this year, as you look at your taxes and what you owe and things like that, what if you decided to, instead of just sending in a check, what if you just decided to send in a little letter to the IRS? And you would send in the little letter and you would just say, dear IRS, I do not believe that the current tax code is fair therefore I do not believe it is true that I owe you this money you know be blessed (laughs) guess what they would say I don't care if you think it's fair don't care it's true it's true you owe this money. You see, what's fair and what's true may not always line up. And the question is, isn't, is not, is it fair? The question is, is it true? And I'm here to tell you today, as we pull this all together, I think not only is it fair, but it's also true. It's fair and true, the way God has chosen to come close to us through his son, Jesus. I mean, think about this. Maybe you've never thought through this before. First of all, everybody is welcome. When you come to Jesus, you have his favor, his blessing, his love. Everybody is welcome to come to God through his son, Jesus, male or female, Young or old, doesn't matter. Live in the city, live in the Burbs, live in Illinois, live in Indiana. Everybody is welcome. Who's everybody? Everybody is everybody. You can be a Chiefs fan. You can be a Bengals fan. You can be a Bears fan. You can probably even be a Cowboy fan. I don't know, but I I bet you can. It's everybody. Everybody is welcome, right? Not, Not only that, everybody gets in the same way. So, everybody's invited to come close to God. Everybody's invited to be a favorite son, and everybody gets in the same way. There's not a way for me to get in as a pastor and then for you to get in. Okay, I don't have to do all those things. You have to do all these things because I got the pastor thing going on, so I don't exactly have to do everything you have to do. There's not a way for me to get in and a way for you to get in. There's not a way for people to get in who live in Mexico. There's not a way for people to get in who live in the Ukraine. There's not a way for people to get in who live in Poland or who, who live in other parts of the world. Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. And guess what? The price has already been paid, amen? And that's Jesus. I mean, what could be more fair? What could be more fair? It's not a puzzle that you gotta figure out in your life. Everybody that you know is welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. You don't have to figure it out depending on who you are and where you are in the world or how old you are. And the price has already been paid. That's Jesus, amen? Amen, that is good, good news. No matter what you've done, No matter what you're doing, no matter what you do, God loves you. He favors you. Last weekend in the last section of Tim's message, he talked about there's just two places in the New Testament of the Bible where the word highly favored is used. Just two places. One of those is with Mary. Mary is highly favored. The other place, remember where it was from last week? The other place where it says that is in Ephesians and it says you, you, are highly favored by the grace, the graciousness that he has freely given. You are, I am, (laughs) not because of what I've done, not because of all the things that I've been a part of or not been a part of, but we're favored because of that grace, the graciousness he's given. And we've been saying this through the whole series so far. Give Jesus a year. He'll change your life. And I believe that's absolutely 100% true. But I want to show you something else that is also very true. Give Jesus a moment. He can change your eternity. God is close, friends. He's here right now. He wants to be near you. And my guess is for a lot of you, not just some of you, probably even a lot of you, maybe in 2022, God God felt a long way away. I want you to know that 2023 can be different. God's close, God's here. He wants to come near to you through his son, Jesus. So maybe it's just about today you saying, man, I'm, I'm just gonna take a step in Jesus' direction. I just wanna learn more about him. I want my life to look more like Jesus. I wanna follow him and be a disciple of his. As you do that, God's gonna feel this close. I'm gonna pray for us and then the band is gonna sing a song as we head out of here. But I want you to listen to the song. I want you to just sit and experience it because it's a song by Lauren Daigle and it reminds us just how precious and loved and priceless you and I are by God even when you maybe don't feel like it you're his favorite you are let's pray together god thanks for today thanks for your word thanks for just the things that we can understand about how when you sent your son jesus and you really kind of tipped the world social political religious things upside down in so many ways and You begin to come close to and show favor to and show grace to people just like us. Didn't have the position and the status necessarily. And God, even today, we know that you come close and who you say that we are is who we are. God, help us to believe that and help the words to this song to settle deep into our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, amen.